following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Buddies and travelers down Thunder Road, it's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcasts Network. I'm your host, your pollster on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined, <laughs> as I am every week, by the topical co-host, Stagger <laughs> Lee Malone himself. How are you, buddy? If you were the pollster, can I be John King? Yeah, you can, yeah. Fuck I, 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 I saw on Twitter today that he's got pints ready for him in Ireland when all this is over. Oh, absolutely. I want him to come over here and do our next election. Yeah. I don't know if people um, listening to this are familiar with the whole uh, Ireland's obsession with trying to claim absolutely anybody with <laughs> remote Irish inheritance. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't know if American people realise there's a uh, petrol station in Offaly named after Barack Obama uh, it, not just named after him but there's a statue of I think it's him and Michelle outside isn't there is there a statue there's like a bronze statue and it's definitely of him but I think it's him and Michelle I'm not sure yeah Barack Obama Plaza mm-hmm. uh, and there's a little museum upstairs in this garage like it's a <laughs> you know I suppose I'm trying to use the parlance of our American friends like a truck stop yeah essentially there, it's a truck stop I'm sure a there's couple, a supermax there there have to be there there is a Supermax, which I'm trying to think of, you know, we talked a bit. Actually, I should bring up our fast oh, food Oh, yeah, we tweets. should, actually, yeah. Uh, that just reminded me. But I'm trying to think of, is there an equivalent of a Supermax? If any of our American listeners are, are, are tuning in trying to figure out what a Supermax is, it's um, a chain uh, exclusive to Ireland. Um, and primarily Australia. the West, oh, Australia as well. Primarily <laughs> the West of Ireland, but it radiated out over the years. Um, and it's the kind of place you would go if it's three in the morning and you want a burger, you'll probably regret. And McDonald's is too busy. And McDonald's is too busy. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I, I think, before in the years before McDonald's was really open late, it was the first of the chains over here. I remember pioneering the whole we're open unreasonably late sort of thing. Um, especially in, in Maynooth, where I went to college. It, it was the place that was open till like three or four in the morning on let's, a night out. Let's see where I was. It was Abra Kababra. Oh yeah. Similarly, a, a similar trash. tier of establishment. Yeah. <laughs> a, trash, a, a place you would not frequent if you were sober at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been to an Abra Kababra at night where there wasn't a fight inside or outside during my time there. The fact that I have to think about oh, I would say you're probably right. <laughs> I would be in the same yeah but uh, yeah so there's this truck stop that just has like it's Barack Obama Plaza because it's it's near 
Moneygall. Moneygall, that's it? the place, yes. Moneygall, which is the place that one of Barack Obama's grandparents is from. Um, and yeah, so he came to the town briefly, had a pint of Guinness. They named this truck stop after him, put a statue up. And yeah, there's just like a, a convenience store. I, I'm, I'm trying to use the American parlance here. Uh, a convenience store, uh, a Burger King, uh, a kind of deli where you can get like a, a hot breakfast or whatever. Chicken fillet and, roll. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the Irish delicacy of the chicken fillet roll. Um and yeah, a, a supermax in it. A real like, you know, it's really Obama's legacy, uh, if anything. <laughs> Americans got Obamacare, we got Barack yeah. Obama Plaza. Yeah, I'm surprised the last four years himself didn't come over and try to build a golf course on top of it, like just to erase a bit more of his legacy. But hey, that's well, enough for politics corner this week. <laughs> look, we I think Ireland and Scotland were well ahead on the fuck Donald Trump train, so <laughs> Yeah. Um Back on point, this is something uh, I, I wanted to, to bring up uh, in terms of how our two weeks have been, Lee. Uh, since our last show, you have watched the entirety of what I consider to be the greatest live action comedy series of all time, Arrested Development. You make it sound like I've spent nothing but the last two weeks watching the show. You, well, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had. It's it's formed the majority of what we've talked about in the DMs for the last two weeks, so it has given that impression. To be honest, <laughs> after every episode, I wanted to send you something about it. Yeah. But God, oh, I, I think I texted, uh, what's it, on the last show I said to you, oh, I started watching it. Yeah. I think you were two episodes in or something, you said? Yes, because I wasn't even familiar with their names yet. I was like, oh, yeah. what what's the brother's name? and. Yeah, um, you'd gotten to the, the one, the episode, the second episode, I think, is the one where Job tries to throw the letter into the sea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have now finished season three and started the Netflix exclusive season four, which is, look, I get why people don't like it, but yeah, it's f- okay. Yeah. I, I think I was saying to you, I think the fact that you've watched all three for the first time and then gone straight into four probably helps. Helps, yeah. Whereas, like, as I was saying, for me, who I literally, this is one of the very few times I can claim to be an early adopter of, like, the the, the cult classic TV show. I was on Arrested Development from day one. Mm. The first time it aired on TV3 in, like, the middle of the night over here, I think it was, like, 10.40, a really weird time. I, I was going to say, you were probably in college, so you were probably all over. I was in second year, I was in second year in school, because it was 2003. What? Yeah, 2003 it came Jesus. out. Jesus. Didn't realize yeah. it was that old. Yeah, so it ran for three seasons and then just like got cancelled and it was gone for ten years. So like I'd spent fifteen years essentially almost annually rewatching three seasons of this thing. So my expectations were set much higher than that season four was realistically going to achieve. Yeah. Um, but it is probably that first three seasons anyway. My my favorite show uh, of all time, uh, comedy wise. Anyway, I can say having watched it in the space of two weeks. I will absolutely rewatch it all again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel it's one of those things, it's one of those where I've recommended it a couple of times and uh, people have come back to me after it and said, I, I think I understand you a bit better having uh, <laughs> watched that show. And I don't know how much of a compliment or an insult that is, but uh, I'll take it anyway. Look, I don't, I don't want to say you're Lucille too, but I mean, you do yeah. fall over a lot. <laughs> I do have vertigo. <laughs> Oh 
my god it's such a there's so many references i wanted to send to you uh over the time but i was so afraid that i was getting the episode wrong and jumping the gun um stuff like that i really wanted to send the uh family love michael banner to you at one stage (laughs) or or taste the happy or any of those oh god we could we really could do a spin-off arrested development podcast we saved that one for the patreon oh yeah the, the one that kept going I love the continuous joke of um, there's money in the banana stand oh oh there's money in the banana stand <laughs> and yeah it gets burnt down every year yeah I, I also I, I one of the the wildest things and I think you'll appreciate loads of them as well given we're similar ages is all the celebrity cameos of people who oh. are popular in TV shows or used to be cool in films showing up mm-hmm. I remember when Carl Weathers shows up in that show it's just incredible yeah brilliant and that's it's funny because when Jimber earlier like way early in on this show uh, we were talking about when when the Scott Steiner heel turn happened and he was talking about being friends with Carl Weathers mm-hmm a lot of people in that generation, obviously, because it's before Rest of be thinking, oh my God, the Predator guy, that's awesome. Whereas me, I'm thinking, oh my God, Carl Weathers for Rest of Development. <laughs> Talking about getting a stew going with Scott Steiner. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Or having um, uh, Henry Winkler. Oh, Henry Winkler. Just his continued div- our, um, regression as a character throughout the show is yes. just... <laughs> I don't want to say it's development because it's definitely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But oh god, there's so many highlights. Um. I loved the cameo right at the end of season three, Ron Howard. Oh uh, yeah, and he's such a great narrator oh. the, the whole time through. Do you know? And then when he actually shows up, I was like, ah, it's Ron Howard. Because yeah. there's such a strong between him and Henry Winkler. There's such a happy days vibe. But then mm-hmm. in season three, Scott Bayo comes in as well That's as right, the yeah. incredibly named Bob Blah Blah. <laughs> With his website, Bob Blah Blah's Law Blog. <laughs> Which I do have. It was, Emma One Christmas bought me a Bob Blah Blah's Law Blog t-shirt. Oh, wow. Which is very much uh, a treasured possession of mine. Um, oh, oh, speaking of which, um, I think we have to mention that uh, wonderful thing I sent you from Redbubble. Oh my god, yeah, this is something that is getting hung on the wall of uh, Days of Thunder Towers here uh, as soon as I, I can get the, the the Christmas presents bought for other people out of the way. Um, we were both perusing the, the wall art on Redbubble, so I sent you a couple of football mm. ones that I, I was thinking about putting on the wall. I have a couple of spaces um, over my head here in the office, uh, and... We were looking away and I found one that's the, the Four Pillars of Heaven, which mm. looked pretty great. Um, And then you said, no, no, this is the one. And it's a That's the Wall Brother poster. <laughs> and Lee, I've, I've never in my life wanted something as much as I want this. Uh, look, unless we find something with Tree Count and Thank Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the one for the office. I wouldn't rule it out, you know. If there's a that's the wall, brother. I, I can't imagine what other stuff they have on there. Um, just fantastic. I'm so I I I really. The only problem is if I hang it above where I record here in the office, that I may just pop myself. I was every just gonna say I you'll I just keep laughing every time you look up. <laughs> so maybe considerably uh, unprofessional to put it there, but look, we, we'll try anyway. Oh, because we're um, we're so professional, otherwise. 
Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, before we get into the uh, the correspondence, uh, the fast food debate has been hot on the timeline this last uh, two weeks. Um, a quick shout out to our good friend. You know, he is a friend of the show, but he's also been our good friend for God knows how long. Like I've known the guy between Twitter and the old F4W board days. I, I've known him about 10 or 15 years at this point, probably, or at least known of him. You know, I've known him personally. I think we first met... For, probably the guts of 10 years ago mm-hmm. uh, at a super China buffet day. Um, there's a fucking there's an inside reference. Out loud. Oh my God. <laughs> Real ones know, my yeah. friends. <laughs> super China buffet day is. Um, but uh, Jamie O'D uh, from Twitter, uh, he got in contact with us and, and said that he had something in his collection that he felt was appropriate for us to own. Uh, so he gave it to us. Uh, and it is the one, D- I believe it's the one DVD that WCW ever released. Because obviously they went out of business early 2001. Uh, so it was right before the big DVD boom. Uh, but it was technology that existed but hadn't really exploded mm-hmm. yet. Uh, and it is a Japanese only version of a, a compilation Millionaires Club versus New Blood um, going from what I can tell is the, the, the re- 10th the, of April the 2000 episode, yeah. yeah the 10th of April 2000 to the 28th of August 2000 uh, I won't proclaim to know any Japanese but there, there seems to be a good few matches on here and I'm seeing words you know the way periodically in these things you'll see a little bit of English so I'm seeing DVD a lot and I see NWO for life NWO forever in here and well, our covers our cover <laughs> stars <laughs> they've only <laughs> just in the middle of all this Japanese just, yeah, that is the wall, wall. brother <laughs> um, I, I, on the cover we've got a DDP Hollywood Hogan. Uh, hang on, hang Sting. on, hang on. Is it DDP and all the people he brought into the business? Well, I'm, I'm sure he'd claim to bring every single one of these into the business, even though I think every single one of them on the cover with him, apart from Goldberg, predates him in the business. Uh, <laughs> we've got Hollywood Hogan, Sting, Goldberg, Kevin Nash. And Kevin Nash, like, it's funny. All the rest of them look like they're from the same photo shoot, but Kevin Nash looks airbrushed to fuck. Uh, in, in his photo that's just pasted into here uh, Jeff Jarrett uh, Muta and Terry Funk because <laughs> you got to get those last two in uh, to make sure it appeals to the Japanese audience for sure well, I mean, Not, Ter- Terry no. Funk was a major part of WCW exactly yeah Not at that time but you know <laughs> Actually no, because in two thousand, I can't remember how much he's there. I don't. I don't think after the New Blood stuff, he was there, was he? Yeah, he because he returns in what ninety nine, late ninety nine. Yeah, and he does the like the, the hardcore run. Yeah. Um, because I remember right around the time uh, WCW gets cut off, uh, Irish and UK TV where it was. Uh, we've talked about it before being on, mm. uh, Cartoon Network used to turn into TNT here at like eight or nine o'clock at night, and Nitro and Thunder were on then. Um, was right after that stopped. NWO two thousand field. Yeah, it was. It was like it was around. I'd say it's around the time that this DVD finishes up, actually, because it was. I feel like there wasn't much time between Cartoon Network going twenty four seven and WCW finishing. Because I, I, I don't feel it was too long before I remember watching the simulcast Raw. 
after that. So like, I want to say like autumn, winter 2000 is when it went off here. But I, I, I do need to look that up in the next five years before we actually cover it. <laughs> I'll be able to better identify at the time and go, oh, is this a thunder I saw uh, or not? But uh, yeah, this is a much appreciated from, from Jamie. And as I kind of said to him, um, I don't know whether I want to like get this properly framed where I, I take out the sleeve and the disc mm. and put it into a frame that way, whether I want to watch it or whether I just want to leave it in the plastic until the end of time. Because it's so... it's, it's Well, I mean, if things... Worse comes to worse, we can always sell it to Zack Ryder. Yeah, it's literally in the like it's pristinely mm. preserved. So I don't want to, apart from maybe burning you a copy. Uh, I don't want to. Well, I, I'm I mean, sure World of Championship Wrestling won't mind. It's not exactly on sale anymore. If it's staying in the plastic, I have no problem with that. Yeah. Ah, oh, God, it's such a. It's so cool to have. Like just looking at us. I would just. I would just <laughs> insist that Jamie buys me one. A <laughs> <laughs> humble request. A humble request. Um, Jamie is an awesome guy obviously like you said we we know him from going to shows and you know him a lot longer than I do but um, yeah yeah no just like an unreal present to get for like the two of us just I've been to shows with that man in in three different countries uh, I think I don't think I was I don't think he was at the Wrestlemania I was at no that was the year he went to Japan I think Um, yeah I think so yeah because the four L's went as well to Japan that year instead of going to Wrestlemania um, but yeah, I've been to shows with him in Ireland, the UK, and and Germany. Known him many years. Great, great. I think, I, think I have two, if I include Belfast. And one of the 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 most esteemed friends of the show uh, in existence for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also just uh, scrolling back now, Lee, because I I did not prepare this until we started talking about uh, <laughs> fast food. Uh, right. Okay. So we have a couple of ratings in here. Uh, some extensive ratings uh, obliged uh, Amos Amos Evans here on, on, on Twitter giving us these. Uh, ratings from a Canadian. This was a... Uh, how did our fast food chat come about last week, Lee? Do you remember? Ah, who knows? I'm putting on the spot here. <laughs> how does anything really come up on this show? <laughs> yeah, I really like sometimes... When you're you're show, trying to think like, of I a listen- reason. Like, come on. <laughs> I scanned through for obvious edit points where we completely lose the run of ourselves. Uh, But apart from that, the show pretty much, I don't really listen to it the whole way through, which is how he ended up with the Lee spilling beer in himself incident. It it says a lot about the show. Yeah, it does. It's the the exact level of commitment you would expect from us. But uh, we had a chat last week. I think it was about, um, oh, it was about commercials during Raw. Ah, And seeing like Popeye's chicken and stuff like that. Uh, and how much we thought Popeye's chicken looked awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are ratings from a Canadian. Uh, Waffle House, very basic, but very solid. No frills, cheap food that is exactly as advertised, and it's open 24 hours. Eight out of ten. IHOP, overprocessed, overly sweet, and never quite as good as you'd like it to be. Um, Popeye's, very good chicken, which I had suspected. Very flaky coating. And that, that appeals to me, Lee. Mm-hmm. I love a good crunchy, flaky yep. coating on my, on my fried chicken. Uh, sandwiches and strips are fantastic. The sides are even better, except the biscuit, which is just okay. Uh, and I guess, yeah, um, something that I always have to try and wrap my head around is the American word biscuit. Because like a biscuit here is what we would call a cookie. You know, they, they would call it a cookie. We would call it a biscuit. So when they say biscuit, so what it's they like call a cookie. So they call, they call all <laughs> what we would call biscuits. They call them all cookies. 
oh, right? So fucking backward. My understanding. <laughs> and uh, what they call a biscuit, we would call uh, a dry scone. Because I don't think it's even a buttered scone. Do you know, so like, why, you know, like, scones are made with butter so that they're, like, sweet. So why are you uh, having a scone with fried chicken? But, well, it's basically just bread in the shape of a scone and you kind of have it uh, with, like, gravy or your sauce on the side or something like so that. So it's like, a, my like a bap almost, isn't it? Y- yeah, not quite. It would have more the consistency of a scone, but it serves the, the function of a bap, shall we say. <laughs> this, is, this we're getting real fucking deep in the weeds here on this one. <laughs> Um, we need to start a food podcast because <laughs> yeah oh man I'm fucking starving now um, so the biscuit which is just okay best fast food gravy out there uh, the red beans and rice are also great nine and a half out of ten strong wow. uh, and he's never taken the opportunity to go to White Castle so uh, then we had more uh, from Cody Cody Sandusky Popeyes solid fast food enjoyable will trade a location to Ireland for some Nando's which I want and uh, I will I would gladly give away Nando's I fucking hate Nando's do you? yeah like right I don't get the whole cheeky Nando's culture thing Mm -hmm. where it's like you know but uh, you know the mood does strike sometimes Lee I won't lie and I I do enjoy it Um, I feel it's one of those places like Subway where you'll hate it until you find the menu item that's for you uh, the first couple of times I went, I was like, this is okay. And then I eventually landed on hot was the sauce I liked and that I liked the the the, the chicken thighs there. And right. figured out my sides as well. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I can deal with this. Um, Waffle House, good when drunk past midnight. Okay, so Waffle House is the supermax of North America. There we go, yeah. Noted. Greasy breakfast foods, because supermax do breakfast as well, don't they? I'm pretty sure they do, yeah. yeah. They're open early uh, enough, so... And good at it. Tried it at normal breakfast hours once and hated myself. It was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Supermax to me. You try mm-hmm. that when there's daylight teeming in through the window and it's a different experience. Applebee's can confirm average and not worth it less, unless you're going for the all-you-can-eat mediocre boneless wings. Oh, I didn't know they had that. I think when I went to Applebee's... Do you think, I, think that one, that's what it says in the menu, the mediocre wings? <laughs> I went to I think I said this on the show last time I went to Applebee's once in San Francisco um, just because it was there and it's like one of those things that you have to check off the list mm-hmm. just the way like if you're an American coming over here like you gotta go somewhere for a pint of Guinness or, or something like that uh, we just had it was one of the things we had to check off was going to an Applebee's God, Lord knows how long I've heard Brian Alvarez talk about going to, to Applebee's on his podcasts <laughs> over the years so it's 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 ingrained in the head uh, he finishes off by saying white white castle tough to grade i have nostalgia due to my dad or eating it uh, on trips before a local location opened colloquial colloquially called belly bombers they can mess you up simple to tasty uh, but slightly too expensive uh, crave case 30 count and beers make it for a solid friday night with friends that sounds good to me white castle like we said because of harold and kumar is one that's yeah. stuck in our heads for sure i think that's the last one it's now, a, it's is a, it? like like a oh wait, no classic. sorry we, we got dave as well saying applebee's gets a pass for me being in the only affordable acceptable place in times square <laughs> oh do you know what i would actually you would have been in new york when wwe the world was still there oh was it there because it was, yeah, because Survivor Series 2002, uh, Saliva performed from the world. That's right, they did. I they th- sang yeah, Jericho I, to the ring. I think it had just changed name to the world. 
Yeah. Um, and you didn't go? I, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always, the only time, whenever I think of uh, WWF New York or the world, I always think of when they made Billy Gunn go there during the King of the Ring. And he had been it, like it was the one edge one. And it was when they were doing the whole Billy Bitch Cakes thing about him being real salty. He wasn't even in the King of the Ring mm-hmm. that year. And it was just so sad. Wasn't wasn't like everybody just taking shots at Billy Gunn all that summer? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Ed says, I'm not going to Billy Gunn up this King of the yeah. Ring opportunity. Um, Dave also says, Denny's in Niagara Falls is just off the tourist track enough that it's quieter than some of the other places. I do love that when it's like a, a well-known chain, but it's not somewhere obvious so that you don't really have to go through the queue. Mm-hmm. There's, there's um, one I forgot to bring up and maybe people can tell us about it if they've been. Yeah. Cracker Barrel. I haven't been to the Cracker Barrel. Um, again, speaking of listening to things on podcasts, fucking Lance Storm talking about Cracker Barrels for years has it in my head that I should go to one. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave finishes off by saying he lived opposite uh, Popeyes in Toronto. He misses it every day. And I would too, by the sounds of the descriptions we're getting yeah. of Popeyes. It, it, honestly, it sounds like KFC, but nice. I was trying to think of there is some chain I don't think it was a Buffalo Wild Wings but it was like another one of those wing establishments did I ever tell the story of going to it in Dallas no. um, with friend of the show Keith Brony um, with friend of the show Mark Robinson and with the internet's AMO version one internet's <laughs> so we went we went to this place and um, we were going in and we, we kind of split up there was two there was two people at, at the tills and we split up two of us went to one two of us went to the other uh, to get our food and we were going for the, the boneless wings because it was like you get you would pick one spice one dry spice and one sauce to go on it right and they rated each spice and each sauce by how spicy it was so we were going pretty mild over on our side because we had a really helpful person on the till and the other lads were just going amo and i want to say it was mark just went hog wild because she didn't stop them uh firstly you went up and you could get like four or ten i think were the options and i <laughs> went up i said i'll have ten of the bonus wings and she just goes no you won't <laughs> <laughs> said, what and she goes uh sir our bonus wings are about one and a half times the size of most wings uh four will be tough uh, so I said, okay, four. Thank you very much. And I picked a couple of, uh, like I picked a, a mid-range spice, mid-range sauce. I was happy enough. We sat down uh, outside waiting for our order and we went through on the menu telling everybody, you know, this is what we went for. And uh, I asked Amo what he went for. Amo, like known at the time, we, we he, he's not a man for spicy food. But he pointed that the spice he went for was called Muay Thai. Oh no. And it was four stars out of five. Oh no and there wasn't many on this scale i think there was like a couple of fours and a couple of fives so the four meant business you know um and i asked him why the fuck did you go for the muay thai sauce when you don't like spicy food and it's four stars and he looked at me shrugged and said anderson silva and <laughs> we sat there waiting i must say as well to enhance the spice of the experience there was no fries you could get in this place that didn't have pepper on it oh god so I had, I think, lemon and pepper fries, which were awesome, I will say. But that was because I had the mild spice. We got our stuff out and like ours, you know, all looked really nice. Looked over at <laughs> Amos. The sauce was the color of molten lava. And I was like, this is going to be real bad. So we all watched, <laughs> not touching our own food, 
watched Amo carve out a tiny bit of his little chicken wing, put it in his mouth, and he pauses for a few seconds, and we kind of said, well... And he looked at us, and not trying to joke, just looking us dead in the eye, said, I want to die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, I really should get the name of that place. I think I have a picture of, you know, his last known meal there. He was just covered in sweat by the end of it. That was a great experience. Um, But, yeah, I... (sighs) We should do this. Is this is it, Lee? You don't want to talk about Patreon content? Us going on a road trip around around America and uh, eating some tasty food at some fast food joints. I could deal with that. Yeah, maybe not in the next couple of years, but you know. No, no, probably not. Although you know, vaccine news. We're we're looking good on that front. <laughs> Stay a bit positive. Who knows? Who do knows? A couple couple of live podcasts on the way to to pay pay our way. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we get into thunder. Lee, uh, what beverage do you have with you this evening? This week, I have a pair of Peronis. Oh, hello. So, just uh, Peroni is for when you don't want a trash beer, but you're not feeling like you want to try anything too outrageous. You just something that goes down nice and easy, nice familiar taste. It's not overpowering. Yeah, it's not going to blow the head off you. Yeah, it's the it's the beer you get. When you're on a college night out and you don't want to break the bank, but you don't want to be drinking pure slop either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've gone with a red ale this time. Um, Back on my red ales. I've gone with the Wicklow Wolf Wildfire Hoppy Red Ale. Oh, I've seen that one in shops. Yeah, this was the first time I'd noticed it. Uh, So I'm going to take a swig of this now. It's got got that lovely red ale Mm colour going. Yes, yes, my friend. Okay. Oh, it's no Rebel Red. That's still my my bar for the red ales in a can. But I will say, don't be put off by it saying hoppy because I can't really get a hoppy taste off it. And normally, I've said it on the show before. I'm the man that you know, if there's an incredibly hoppy taste, I'm not having any of it. Yeah, and um, anything too hoppy kind of puts me off. Yeah, and I think that's something you know, um, a lot of those kind of micro brews do. Uh, where it's like, oh, we don't know what flavor to put in it. Mm-hmm. More hops. Yeah. Um, I've also got my uh, my Joe Gordon Levitt, my Jemison Ginger and Lime here, so I'm <laughs> I'm good to roll because again, it's it's a warm night here in the office. The heating has been on, uh, so for my own consciousness, I'm just gonna have to keep plowing through these. Uh, I will see how lucid or not I am by the end of proceedings because we're both a bit sleepy and we're going to have imbibed. So, fingers crossed. We'll get, it's only an hour and a half long show. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Without further ado, Thunder episode 35 from October 8th, 1998. And we're coming uh, as the first half of a double shot in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, I should probably flag just for a, a bit of promotion that we're hoping for the second half of this taping to be joined uh, for a segment by a friend of the show and host of the Strong Style Story podcast, uh, the Busting Balls podcast, and Boom Goes to Dynamite, Jeffrey, uh, as he was in attendance at both of these shows. Well, that's uh, one show. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Let's not give him credit for very, going to two shows. <laughs> one very, very long show. I think we have to give him credit because I would not have sat through four hours of thunder. Listen, uh, there's a possibility person. that that Jeff got to see not one, but two Jerry Flynn matches. 
My word, my word. So hopefully we'll be joined by him. It's our first opportunity to talk to somebody who was at a taping we've arrived at in the timeline. So I'm very excited to get the scoop. He has promised us, and if you listen to my appearance on Strong Style Story there a few weeks ago at the end of the G1, he has teased that there are many stories to tell, particularly from this first episode. But I thought, you know, get him on at the end of the block and get them all in uh, in one go. It'll be... Uh, an interesting one. But uh, to start off this show, we have Pyro, Ballyhoo and Chucky <laughs> laughing away. And this was the show. So it's happened a couple of times on every show since it started, mm-hmm. the, the Chucky thing. And this is the one where I was getting the most annoyed with it. Because I feel like on the Nitro we just did and on the Thunder before, there was a couple of times where they came back from break talking about the laughter. So the WWE Network had done us the favour of editing out some of the laughter. Mm-hmm. But this was just... I think it was four times on the show. Yeah. Because it's building up to he appears this coming Monday. Um, okay. So we'll hopefully... we Once the pay-per-view is done, we will hopefully be done with it. But anyway, uh, the other thing of note here in the intro, Lee, and it's something you posted a photo of at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter, is uh, the style that was being profiled at the commentary desk. In particular, I could not take my eyes off Tony Schiavone's gold chain. He's opened a couple <laughs> of buttons on the shirt. The gold chain is blinging. I tell you what, that's a man hitting the town. Yeah. That's another one of their, they're going out with flair tonight outfits, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Bobby and his bright yellow suit uh sports co yeah have you actually seen the um i don't know if they've done this before or not but i saw an aw social media tony did like an old timey backstage interview like he would have done in the day with the stick mic and the the kind of the background and everything with cody oh no i haven't seen it yeah he's really good on it tony is uh the cody promo is just a cody promo that could have been done anytime he didn't really lean into the 80s aesthetic of the whole thing but tony's really good on it because he's plugging like upcoming tour dates like he would have um it's worth it's worth he doesn't send it back to david crockett around like that no (laughs) if only um today was supposed to be with them here on commentary tonight but he got called 40 miles away uh, and you will note that they repeatedly stress how far away this place is uh, across the night. 40 miles away to chat with Scott Hall at a bar. And I love that, that, you know, WCW in Gayfabe is at the stage where if you don't want to come to work, you can summon a, a commentator to come and interview you in a bar instead of coming to work. Great stuff. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, Stevie, I, I, I was going to say, I have one question. Yes. So we're in Indianapolis, Indiana. Yes. What's a hosier? Or hoosier, whatever they're called. I think that's what, isn't that what, um, that's like the, the, the colloquial term for people from Indiana? Is Hoosiers? it? Yeah, I think so. But that's what I mean, like, what is it? You know, I, I guess, I guess Jeff will be the man to ask. He's got, he's listened to this now and he is typing a livid DM that we don't know this already. <laughs> Listen, sometimes I just have to get stuff in just to annoy Jeff. <laughs> yeah. You're already lining up the uh, incomprehensible uh, beers for next week as well, I'm sure. Oh, now you've you've sent me a task. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Our main event tonight is Stevie Ray versus Lex Luger. Uh, We are 17 days and counting from Halloween Havoc. uh, And we throw to the bar straight away as uh, communication has been established with Tanae. 
so we don't like we we've long established we don't like the idea of the the scott hall drunk gimmick Mm -hmm. but i will say i did find him quite funny in this little bit because as he cuts live and today he's just trying to pop today today is trying to be dead serious and hand over to scott and scott's in the background going hey tony (laughs) i I like that today is there and you know he's he's saying you know i'm at the bar kind of like starting to prop the Signing in almost to the crowd, like yeah, and Scott Hall's in the background going, "Did you get my call?" Yeah, he's like, "Hi, Mike." Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's going, "Hey, Tony, hey, Tony." And then when <laughs> tonight turns to him, "Hi, Mike." <laughs> he said he's heard Nash is in town, and he said he's calling him down. This is the bar that they used to go to a lot when they were in Indy. Uh, says he has his back to the wall like John Wayne this time. <laughs> Uh, so setting up a confrontation for later uh, calling Nash out to come meet him head to head this time he won't be able to attack him from behind they'll uh, I think he said we're going to get it on tonight in Indianapolis I, I um, like that he said you can leave those two jabrones on their own to get or to get over on their own get over by themselves yeah yeah that was really good Um, then we go to the back as uh, a limo speeds away from the building but i love so it starts speeding away but then it gets down to the bottom of the ramp and the driver slows it up (laughs) (laughs) it's like we're trying to we're trying to speed away and either he was expecting the camera to cut away before then or he's just like i am not wrecking this car for wcw and uh we're told that that's kevin nash's limo yeah so we never actually never actually see kevin nash all black limos are easily identifiable Oh yeah, from one another. Um, our first match of the show pits Canyon against the returning Prince IKEA, the Flat Pack Sovereign. <laughs> He's back on the show, the inaugural, uh, martial arts division champion. Um, he's back with new gear, new hair, and boy, Lee, is he looking jacked, baby? Is he? Yeah, well, he's looking. I don't know whether it's the uh. The, the gear being extra tight or he has just kind of uh, done his push-ups beforehand but he is looking well I couldn't get past the hair so I just couldn't yeah. see anything else yeah do, do you want to describe the hair to the listeners here because it's, it's no. quite a look no. <laughs> <laughs> it was like kind of some like his head is shaved and then he has like a ponytail at the back yeah it's, it's really like weird it's, it's shaved all the way back to the the crown of the head and then there's like the hair has been let grow around the crown and bunched up into a little a little top knot almost um yeah it's uh so he looks in great shape the gear is a a bit of an improvement but yeah the hair is a real letdown here i think i i did i did agree with bobby heenan that uh ikea was fighting the wrong guy he should have been fighting his barber yeah i um I liked so Canyon has been doing the uh, who better than Canyon for a few weeks now, and I love that at this point he is fed up with trying to get the crowd to uh, chant what he wants them to chant. So this time he just spells it out for them by saying, "I don't want you to chant everybody," <laughs> obviously because he's the heel, coaching them to actually say everybody when he says it. Mm-hmm. But who's better than Canyon? And everybody says everybody. So he's he's finally got that, and that's something. I would not have guessed, Lee, that he had gotten that going as far back as 1998. The Who Better Than Canyon thing felt in my head like very, very late WCW and into his Fed run. Oh, really? Yeah. I I, I, I knew it was pre-Jersey Triad. 
Yeah, because in my head, I remember Mortis. I remember Jersey Triad. I remember Positively Canyon. Champagne Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the kind of the constituent elements and what happens in between, a little bit muddled uh, for me. I love them though. Um, this is uh, Ikea. So he, he Ikea starts the match very aggressive, aggressive and fast paced because it's a big return. This Lee, I can't, be- I couldn't believe this when I looked it up. This is his first match in WCW. His last match was on Thunder as well, uh, since being squashed by Barbarian in April. Has he been gone that long? He has been gone for six months. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's how he came back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing. So I'm watching, it's like, this is his big comeback, you know, when I'm watching it uh, live to tape. And I'm like, God, Canyon is getting a lot of heat in here for mm-hmm. what I'm assuming is the big comeback win for Ikea. <laughs> um, and like even in his heat spot, Canyon hits his, his avalanche neck breaker, which looked very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, during one of his heat segments, uh, Ikea does a lovely fireman's carry roll, which looked like really smooth. Um, just as uh, Ikea appears to be getting ahead of steam to pick up the win that I was convinced he was going to get Lee Canyon just dumps him off his shoulder onto his face which looked like it sucked I laughed picked him up flatliner and beats him yep it's like he was just getting rolling on this big comeback and then Canyon just throws him onto the fucking canvas Hmm. and hits the fucking flatliner yeah Yeah. I loved it (laughs) now I haven't gone back into like the observer or torch archives to uh, confirm exactly what was going on. I know Wikipedia and a bunch of other places just say he was on hiatus for six months. So I wonder, because I know the IKEA thing, uh, it felt like it had run its course. Mm. And I know it's been fairly well documented at the time that he kind of, through 98 and 99, in between the kind of uh, the cooling off of the original character and the arrival of the artist, can't wait to get to that. Um, he was very kind of frustrated with how WCW didn't really seem to know what they wanted to do with him. And more often than not, what they wanted to do with him was was nothing. Um, <laughs> so when when I read into that, he just was on hiatus for six months. It felt to me like, you know, when you, you take a guy away for a while to bring him back reinvented and put him on a bit of a run. Like Wrath is a good example. Yeah. Wrath had been away from a while. Now, I know he had injuries and that. But Wrath had been away for a while and you reintroduced the guy and you put him on a little bit of a run. Like, even if you're not going to put the world title on him, at least give him a little bit of heat so that, you know, when he loses to a name guy, that the name guy has beaten somebody would seem to me, unless it's the real dirt worst bottom of the bottom kind of guy, uh, that's what you would do. But yeah, just like back and Canyon's not really doing anything at the moment either. I kind of just beats him clean. Ah, look, Canyon's more fucking valuable to this company. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you say that like they ever really got a ton of value out of either of them uh, True. at a high level. But uh, yeah, I, I know that the ceiling is higher considering his size and build in Canyon if they had wanted to go with either of them. But yeah, still a little bit. You've got a you got a feel for Ikea here a little bit that like he goes on a, on a months of a hiatus and then boom, just straight back to where he was doing the job. At least it's, I suppose, to a better quality opponent than than Barb. Um, next up, we have uh, a man who is all over this show, Chris Jericho, uh, backstage at Goldberg's dressing room. But uh, 
it is more air quotes Goldberg's dressing room because even though as they cut back, Tony makes sure we all know Goldberg is not here tonight. And uh, <laughs> I, I, lo- I love the sign. It's obviously very much handwritten WCW logo yeah. with Goldberg in inverted commas yeah. on, on, written on the sheet. Yeah, it's fantastic. And he's, <laughs> and he's shouting in some of the greatest lines. <laughs> like, I could just imagine the idea of him shouting this at actual Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Come on, young boy. Oh, you missed the first one. Go on. Come on, dream boy. Dream boy. So come on, dream boy. Come on, young boy. Come on, green boy. This is your daddy calling you. Yep. And he opens the he opens the dressing room. Oh, he's not here. And storms off. And I was really hoping I couldn't quite see what was in the dressing room, but I was hoping that he'd open it and it was like blatantly Chris Jericho's dressing room. Just Ralph standing like there. Just his gear. Yeah, Ralphus and the Jericholic Ninja just standing there or trying to hide badly. Um but you know, it was good. And speaking of good, we then got a replay of the Steiner Trophy promo again, which I just sat back and just yep. absorbed that greatness into me one more time. Didn't need to take any notes, just enjoy it. And, and I, I you still, know, I actually, I enjoy, I do like when WC do that. Like they, they find something that works, yeah, and just show it again. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, like I know we talk about and the more the years go on, we will say like Thunder is just a forgotten show and it's a here's what happened on Nitro show at its worst. But when you have a genuine home run of a segment, I'm absolutely fine with you showing at least the highlights of it on Thunder mm-hmm. because you should. The stuff that, that plays really well should be emphasized on your programming and not just forgotten about. Um, And, I, you know, I was gone all over again at his line about how... um. You also have one of these at your home. Uh, <laughs> just great. Uh, no, the, the one that still gets me is, uh, I think it's like, you know, I carried you to all these trophies and I know you feel bad about it. <laughs> and then, as if that wasn't enough, the lads are here, Buff and Scott. Delighted to see them. Um, Buff is on the microphone and he's got a lot of things he wants to get straight. He's... So the first thing he's got to get straight is we don't like Indianapolis. <laughs> it's great. I love that. Just cheap, easy. He, he's yeah. like, we don't like it here. We don't want to live here. We don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. And then he's saying that he's got to get straight that a lot of people are talking about the Steiners match, but that's not happening. And he has to get that straight as well. The Halloween Havoc is not happening. So the paper Scott- was cancelled. Yeah, Scott isn't ready. He's a bit out of shape, at which point Brain goes, yeah, he looks horrible. It's the whole time as Buff is talking. He's flexing. <laughs> he's there shirtless, like he's just in his in his, in his black pants, and he's just flexing. And like, you have never seen a more ridiculously jacked human being in your life than Scott Steiner. It's like, can, yeah, he looks horrible. <laughs> can I just point out, Scott Steiner looks like a fucking star. Yeah. My, the like, fact that it took so long for them to actually fully get behind this guy yeah like my god the fact that they, when they finally got behind him his body had really started to break mm-hmm. down at that point it's such a shame because if you got behind him with this character when he could still go oh my word that's a license to print money um i love he he's he's got the catchphrase down now big pop of hump is your hookup um is an ain't no woman out there that's been with a man like me. And I know that was meant to slag off the women in Indiana, but it sounds like he was admitting to never have known the touch of a woman, which was very it, it entertaining to me. Yeah, see, I thought the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's saying much about the women here. More or something about you. Yeah. 
<laughs> it just reminded me of the, you know, the Triple H, I'm by a lot of things and fucking JR, we're live, pal. <laughs> Where it's just like, you just haven't really thought through the phrasing on that one, Scotty, have you? I have to say, Scott was trying really hard here to be like proper misogynist yeah. Scott Steiner. Yeah. He says he's got one problem. And that's with Judy Bagwell coming out on Nitro and getting in their business. He said, if you can't keep a leash on her, they have a problem. Buff is incensed by this and tells, I love, he has a line in here about telling Scott that he needs to keep family to family and business separate, which is brilliant because Scott is in a feud with his brother when he's giving him this advice. A feud which, by the way, Buff is very much trying to stoke the flames of at all times. Uh, Tension is ratcheting up in the ring here as the two of them come face to face. And Buff is definitely like, even though he dressed down his mother on Nitro before she dragged him out by the ear, he is trying to defend her here. Old mm-hmm. Stone Cold Judy Bagwell herself. Uh, and Buff says, look, as usual, it's all about Scott. So he's basically going to leave Scott to Scott and he bails on him. And I was like, no. <laughs> I have to say, this is the second time they've teased a Buff Bagwell torn. Yeah. And you know what? It gets another pop. Like people yeah. are willing to get behind them. Yeah, but I, 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 and I know they do eventually. I just never want this team to break up. They are gold anytime we see them. Um, we cut to the crowd where there is a, like a, a young, I, I, like technically young Peyton Manning in the crowd. But I still looks forty. That's what I was gonna say. Like I'm, I'm not a huge American football guy, but he's just one of those guys that like he, he was born age thirty five. Um. <laughs> It's crazy. He just still has the big kind of granite head on him, like looking fucking weathered up there. I, and I, I would look weathered after, you know, half an hour of thunder as well. I thought you were going to say after living in Indianapolis. But... Oh, no, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> you wouldn't. I guess, yeah, and that's because I don't have a fucking clue what it's like there. And neither do you. <laughs> doesn't make, doesn't stop me taking shots. It could be fucking heaven on earth and you're just going to bury it to Royal Jeff. <laughs> um. I did like that there was obviously other football players beside him. Yeah. And they just didn't care. didn't acknowledge them at all. Yeah, it was like Peyton Manning is there and then there's kind of a half arse and there's, yeah, those guys. <laughs> the camera just slowly pans across these people. Yeah, and then we have one of those weird moments of editing on the WWE Network where I, I'm sure this, like, you looked up from your notes as you heard this. So they're doing a Wall Street montage. Because WCW... Yeah. WCW is launching their MasterCard partnership and they're doing the bell ringing at the stock exchange and the music so so some of the time the WWE obviously edits out licensed music Mm -hmm. sometimes they put it in with generic enough music that you either don't notice the difference or it's not so different that it's worth raising the point sometimes it's disappointing like they put in Raven's WWF theme which sucks um or they put in Jericho's WWF team, which is great, but that's mm-hmm. not what I want to hear in this context. Uh, this time, and I would love to get to talk to whatever archivist was responsible for this. The music that they put over this montage was the Hardy Boys theme. I'm going to shock you here, Dave. I don't yeah. think they put it in. That's original. What? The Hardy Boys music is um, library music. It's what? not WWE owned. Did you not know this? No. So this is authentic. It has been used on TV ads. Oh my God. How has and this detail evaded me? 
So has, do you remember the uh, Hardcore on Crash Holly song? Yeah. That's library as well. That's been on TV ads over here as well. My God. Maybe it's just that I'm so used to them locking down their IP that this is shocking to me. Yeah, no, so, the, the Hardy's music has always been um, library music. Wow, I did not know that. And and also, like, just the idea that this would be... The the idea that this was actually on Thunder is incredible to me. I, I'm, and it would have been I'm what? I'm going to say, like, I am 90, 95% certain that that has to be original footage. And it's, what, about a year before they start using that music? Oh, was it even that long? They're using it... Were I'm, they pretty using sure, it? I'm pretty sure they used that pre The New World... Oh, really? And then they went back to it. Oh, okay. Okay. Then maybe, yeah, so then maybe these uses are in parallel, which is even weirder. But again, if it's free library music, I don't think yeah, there can be I any. Guess. That's wild. That is wild. Anyway, uh, our next match, Meng versus Jerry Flynn. Uh, a classic, if ever there was one. I felt really bad. How, I was going to say, how about JF being on uh, Days of Thunder for the tour show in a row? What a man. What a man. He's really putting Mike Enos to shame. Get, um, get, getting that money. Yeah, and is, is he in different gear this time with his lightning foot on the, the back of it? I don't remember this uh, on his last appearance. I um, mean, he's moving up the rung, so, you know, maybe he could afford some font. He's definitely getting there. Um, He's here at Ming. I, yeah, I felt really bad for Tony at the start of this match because he, he really depressingly confesses that the announcers aren't allowed to socialise with the wrestlers in the locker room. Locker room. <laughs> they have their own Lyrian. Yeah, I just felt real bad for him. He just wants to be friends. I don't um, think Tony cares. And this is one of those classic Meng matches where you just didn't give a fuck. So he's putting a whooping on Jerry Flynn early on. And anytime Flynn mounts any offense, he just, with the exception of a couple, he completely no-sells. Oh, he just cuts everything. him off all the time. like. Yeah, he's just like, no, we're not doing that. I'm still hitting you. Sorry about that, fella. Um, there's a bit where he Jerry Flynn kind of uh, ramps up to doing a top rope shoulder tackle and Meng kicks out at like 0. 0.5 <laughs> it is like it's absolutely ah. Oh. listen if, if Meng wanted to win every match he would have won every match yeah yeah he would have yeah there would have been no choice in the matter legendary hard bastard Meng um, with tongue and deck rip for the finish which will surprise absolutely nobody um, we cut to the back next and it's Jericho. <sighs> Jericho is saying he'll stay all night in the parking lot if he has to. He's shouting at a car passing by. But Lee, I, I think the star of this little segment here is Ralphus. <sighs> <laughs> Growling as he pounds a two by four into his fist. Yeah, with a big smile on his face. Yeah. And like, I think trying not to look at the camera. I think you're putting it like very strongly. You're you're putting over Ralphus a bit too much, saying that like he's pounding the uh, the two by four or whatever you said. Like he's lightly caressing it, basically. <laughs> he's like, he's, look, I I didn't want to say stroking. Yeah, I'm just I'm, like just lightly patting my hand with this because I don't want to get a splinter, but I still want to look menacing. Um, we cut back to the ring, and Chris Adams is coming out, who we haven't seen in a long while, but Meng is still in the ring. <laughs> He wants another another opponent to destroy. So they they have like a bit of a standoff where Adams is like, I'll get in the ring if you go out of the ring. So as they're exchanging positions, uh, he just gets attacked by Meng, who chokes he's, him he's out. halfway through the ropes and Meng just kicks him in the head. Yeah. 
So he's beating down and choking out Chris Adams and Wrath comes out. The announcers tell us that uh, Wrath was originally supposed to, to face Gentleman Chris Adams. Uh, Wrath and Meng then proceed to get in what I could only describe Lee as a shite brawl. Um, See, you call it that. I called it a cat fight. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because they did the rolling around. They did the rolling around, spot. pulling each other's hair, yeah. But then they went down and like the brawl is good if it looks like it's devastating to both men. But the fact that you have one guy who's just clearly like no selling all the fake fighting. <laughs> it's just and the other guy just, is Meng <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it just kills it dead uh, I my favourite part of this is the chair oh. it's one of those you know the famous um, the famous gif of it's Christian and Scott Steiner isn't it where they mistime the, the, the headbutt into the steps no, in TNA I, I haven't seen that or I can't recall it where they go to do the I'm going to bash your head off either the ring or the steps or something like that and they mistime it <laughs> He just voluntarily throws his own head in. Oh, jeez. Okay. It's great. It's great. I'll send you it afterwards. I think people will know the spot I'm talking about. I think it's Christian and Scott Steiner. Um, So it reminded me of this because Wrath gets a chair. <clears throat> he swings it back to do the, you know, I'm going to clatter you over the back with the chair. The easy chair shot to take. Um, And I remember, was it was it in um, You Cannot Kill David Arquette where they're talking about it? Like if you if you take the chair shot against like the broad space of the back because mm-hmm. the, the force is spread out over your back, it hurts way less than being hit with anywhere else. Makes sense. So he goes, prepares to do that. But when he does it, Meng, who is a psychopath, <laughs> doesn't leans... duck. Yeah. What? He, does, he doesn't, like, I think... Uh, he, not only I think... does he not duck, Lee, he leans his head in. Uh-huh. Whereas, like, no, sorry, the preferable spot at which I would like to be hit is square on the top of the head, please. I think Adams Adams had thrown a kick and Meng just no-sold it. Yeah. Because, you know, he'd kick him and he'd bend over and yeah. he'd hit him in the back. Except Meng just went, no, just hit me in the head. Yeah. And to make it more awkward, because, you know, they say, like, if something goes wrong, just, like, keep going. You know, don't panic and pause in the middle of a, you know, match or a brawl or whatever or a spot. Um... Because he leans his head in, Wrath, who is in the middle of swinging the chair, stops completely dead. The two of them panic for about half a second and then Meng gives up the back and he hits him in the back with the chair. <laughs> uh, Brain really, God, tries his level best to cover for it, saying that, you know, Wrath didn't know whether he wanted to hit him in the head or the back as they go to a break. But it just, God, the fact that not only was it terrible, but it happened about a foot and a half away from the camera. Mm-hmm. That they, they, they could not look at anything else. Um, we get a commercial next for Saturday night and the commercial has a new look uh, where they do a visual montage of some of your favourite featured players including Finlay uh, who will be appearing on Saturday night this week Uh, the horsemen are outside the building but Doug and the cops are telling them there's a restraining order on everybody but Dean hmm suspicious Uh, and they won't be allowed in Uh, Lee one I thought this segment went on way too long um and two, I, I felt like they're already really doing this. Are we going to give you the horsemen or are we not? Nah, we're probably not going to give you all the horsemen anyway thing. Mm-hmm. That I feel like people are going to get real sick of this real quick. Yeah, I, I get that they're, they're loading the heat on to Bischoff. They're like, they yeah. really are loading it before it's started. Yeah. But people just want to see the horsemen. Mm. Like, I don't even think they want to see Flair wrestle. They just want to see yeah. Flair in the ring cut a promo. I mean, you could probably have done everything they did on the show with that segment, but just have the the later segment we're going to talk about end with, with the horsemen, the horsemen running through the crowd. Yeah, like that's all they needed. Yeah. 
Um, or like, you know, Bischoff getting knocked out or something by Dean somehow. It was like a schmoz. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he hits the deck, the horsemen are out. So Bischoff never knew they were there or, or you know, some sort of wrestling logic thing like that. Um, but yeah, it's just disappointing that with the exception of Belenko, they showed the horsemen on the screen and didn't deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, one of these wrestling logic dictates that if you're showing what is alleged to be Flair and Arn and Benoit and Mongo outside the building trying to get in and wanting to get in, the crowd is automatically going to think, okay, they're definitely all coming out. Yeah. Yeah. The best way to do it if you're actually not going to deliver is just to say with them off screen Mm -hmm. that they were banned from the building so they didn't even fly out with the exception of Malenko. Like have Bischoff come out and cut a promo and say, I banned a horseman from here tonight. They won't be here. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I thought this was like because it would have been great if they had if the rest of the horsemen had shown up and defied orders, mm-hmm. um, especially when like JJ Dillon is still in some sort of uh, position of authority and he could sneak them in. Yeah, do you know, or like distract horrible security professional Doug Dillinger so that they can sneak in a door or well, something. Well, don't forget Vincent that heads of security. So yeah, that is true. Um, next up we have the epic encounter of El Dandy versus Tokyo Magnum I was like this is a pair of humans to put together I'll tell you what Dave if this is a match we're getting on the first episode of this double header you can only imagine what we're getting on the second episode you want to talk about throwaway matches if ever there was one um, this, is, this just exists um, I will say some tremendously funky theme songs on both men here coming mm-hmm. out and I will say the first 20 seconds of this, I was having it. There was some good, oh, yeah, like, really good. quick really roll-ups good and stuff like that. But it's just, it's one of those, Lee, where even if mechanically the two of them can have a decent match in the ring, it's so without context or, or mm-hmm. anything to get me invested in these characters who seldom show up on television. And that, I'll tell you what, even if you did get invested, yeah, then the cackling starts again. Yeah. And yeah, the, oh God, that I felt so bad for them. They're in the middle of a rest hold, which obviously in a match where people don't care, if you do a rest hold, the crowd are going to tune out mm-hmm. even more. The Chucky laugh starts again. And it's funny because the crowd don't like it at all. The crowd start booing it. Mm-hmm. And the commentators seem furious about it. Like to the point they're talking about how nobody tells us anything around here about what that laugh is. To the point where I'd almost believe they genuinely didn't know what it was. They didn't know what the payoff was going to be. Yeah, and I suppose if they did know, they'd probably be even more mad. Uh, uh, one thing I will note about this match, apart from El Dandy's pissed off face when the Chucky laugh starts, is uh, I'm kind of horrified by how alluringly uh, Staggerly Marshall says El Dandy. <laughs> did you notice this? <laughs> no. It fucking chilled me to the bone. <laughs> it was proper like I could imagine him in his silken... Uh, dressing gown laying on the bearskin rug going El Dandy they might want to see that promo yeah it's um, uh, you know creepy Lee Marshall could have been like Don West yeah. for El Dandy for what Don West was to Amazing Red yeah. <laughs> Lee Marshall could have been to uh, El Dandy call it El Dandy yeah it's um, then he's all of a sudden, great then all of a sudden <laughs> IWGP heavyweight champion Scott Norton is here yeah, he is. And the the head is completely buzzed. At first, I thought it was Fat Horace. Uh, until I realised it was, because he's coming out with the waistcoat and everything. And the chain. 
Um, and he just kills the two of them to bits. Yep. No contest. Pair of power bombs, and he just walks right on out. Yeah. He just absolutely destroys That's a badass. them. I fucking yeah. love that. Yeah. Oh, he's he's done his business. He's gone now, and he had the belt as well. But he just threw the belt down straight. You only get kind of glimpses of it as he's walking out. Um, you know what? And I really like that belt. Yeah. It's a really nice uh, belt. Yeah, we'll see. We might see some more of it uh, at a later date. Back from the break, and Eddie is in the ring. He's here to recruit El Dandy. I, I love that Tokyo Magnum keeps tapping Eddie on the shoulder, and he wants mm-hmm. to get in, but Eddie is just, like, not interested. Uh, and on, like, the third time of asking where Magnum isn't getting the hint, he's explaining, no, this is for Latinos, and because you're Japanese, we're not interested. I think he says something like, I'm pretty sure you're Japanese, we don't care. Yeah, you know, he's like, as far as I know, you're Japanese, or something like that, yeah. Which is great. Um... Marshall says that we could call Eddie El Patron uh, as the leader of this group. Um, when he said that, I was really disappointed we never got that. Yeah, him doing the full kind of like, uh, like, oh, fuck, that would have been amazing. Eddie coming, out, Eddie coming out in like... Uh, in like, like the fucking Naito suit or something like no, that. No, I was going to say like an, an oversized um, stripy, like Al Capone style suit. Oh, yeah, and like With- an enormous cigar. With the hat, with the, the fedora. and Oh, yeah. Like, I just want proper mob boss Eddie Guerrero. That would be incredible. Incredible. Give us the book. We'll book shit like that. Um, and then I, we wouldn't we wouldn't have got El Patron fucking Alberto shit yeah. face. Ugh. <laughs> Alberto shit face. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the name on his birth certificate. Look, <laughs> I, don't, I don't say this word often on this show, but that man's a cunt. Yeah, yeah. Well deserved. A horrible human being. Um, that's for sure. I love as we go to uh, to break, Brain hits us with the line after uh, after Lee Marshall explains what El Patron means. Is when we come back, Lee Marshall counts to ten in Spanish. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally missed that. Oh, it's great. <laughs> and there was definitely a quick hitting of the cough button when he said that. Uh, our next match here is Scott Putsky versus Saturn. Uh, we've a. Oh, sa- y- I was just gonna say you missed um, Tony sending out thoughts and prayers for uh, Mark Curtis. Yes, that's what I was just about to get to that here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So we have a we've a sad note here. Uh, referee Mark Curtis, uh, better known as Brian Hildebrand, um, mm-hmm. he is out getting surgery. Uh, he'd been sick for years at this point and mm-hmm. had been the previous year diagnosed with a, a, like an aggressive form of bowel cancer. Uh, sadly, I don't know if he ever comes I back like on a temporary basis. I don't think he does. No. Uh, he passes away uh, the middle of the following year, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm, pre- is... I'm pretty sure, don't they do a, a charity show that yes. he referees at? And then I think they do another show after he passes. Yeah, so I have this from, from his Wikipedia here, which he's one of these guys that you don't think about very often, but like mm-hmm. he obviously meant a lot to a lot of people in wrestling because of the names that would come out, uh, you know, uh, in memoriam of him. So during the final stage of his disease in 1999, a Curtis Goes Home benefit was held in his uh, hometown of the Ross Traver Township in Pennsylvania. Uh, Cody Michaels developed and promoted the event which is viewed by wrestling insiders and experts as one of the truly memorable events in history that actually brought together the major companies at the time WWF, WCW and ECW in support of one of the most genuinely loved workers in the industry the major stars that worked and provided support that night included now bear in mind this is still at the the height of the wars between these three companies that all fucking hated each other 
And on this show, Mick Foley, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Shane Douglas, Bruno Sammartino, Dominic DiNucci, Terry Taylor, D'Lo Brown, Al Snow, Hugh Morris, Les Thatcher, Billy Kidman, Chris Candido, and many others. Um, so that's See, that's absolutely huge. I think um, for a long time people didn't realize that Brian was actually Jim Cornette's right hand man and Smokey. Like yes. anything that got done in that company, if it wasn't Cornette, it was Brian that was behind it. Yeah. So like a hugely. A hugely kind of loved and missed man who I think yeah it was September in ninety nine that that uh, he finally passed away sadly way too young at the age of only thirty seven, uh, which is terrible, mm-hmm. um but yeah a much loved man who gets shouted out here and and later by by Chris Jericho in his promo, uh, but worth noting him here in case we get to ninety nine and his name doesn't come up again, uh, this match starts off and there's a nice little bit of uh chain wrestling at the start which plays to kind of um puts his strength on the mats but but it the, the crowd i think i think they misjudge what the crowd were looking for at this point in the show because they get real quiet here uh, you forgot to mention this is a martial arts division title match oh it is indeed yes because our champion is here our longest reigning champion i think at this stage isn't it uh, i'll have to have a look here hold on uh no not yet uh he has only held it for uh, a month He's had a lot of defences though, hasn't he? Uh, I feel like he has. Uh, so the average reign has been about six weeks to two months so okay. far. <laughs> so he's the shortest champion. Shortest <laughs> <right> now. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose he's the one that we're most sure probably, you know, could go mm-hmm. on a run here. Um, um, I say that, like, we haven't looked forward. He probably loses on the next taping. Wouldn't surprise us. Dave, do you know what BDE is? Is this a trick? No. <laughs> genuinely asking. Yes. Okay. Well, I have to say, I feel like Saturn has BBE. Right. Which is big biker energy. Oh my God. Absolutely. With the shades, the bandana, the leather vest. It reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> do you ever watch... Uh, do you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I dip in and out, yes. So you know when Mac got the, the duster jacket? Yes. And uh, Dennis comes in at one point and he's shirtless with the duster jacket on. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's gross. Why are you wearing that? And he's just like, very masculine jacket. Really in shape guy. It's very sexual. <laughs> that's just what I think of. When... <laughs> so do you think Saturn just puts on a pair of pants? And then just puts the vest on over and goes, yep. Yeah. This Perry- is it. Perry Saturn, the Dennis Reynolds World Championship Wrestling. You heard of here first. Uh, he is of That's course ruined now. Yeah, he is of course running the show here for the most part. Uh, and oh my God, Lee! Right, this is very much Shawn Michaels territory. Where uh, Shawn Michaels, as we've said before on the show, with his switching music, either misses you by a country mile or fucking clips you one right in the jaw. Uh, oh my god, Saturn nearly took Putsky's head off with a standing side kick here. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I was take, kind of taking notes as I was watching the match, and I saw the standing side kick and I went, oof, that's snook. Yeah, yeah, that is, he had his clock cleaned by that one, that's for sure. 
Um, Putski has a chance to lock in the sleeper, which uh, causes Brain to wake up from his nap. Uh, but Saturn thinks fast and hits him with a jawbreaker to get out of it. Uh, Putski hits a close, like the softest clothesline I've the ever done. The worst clothesline in the world. Oh my God, it was embarrassing. And he also hits another one after this that's also fucking horrendous. And I have to say, after seeing Putski a couple of times, yeah. I've come to the clu- conclusion that the guy has no idea what to do when he's in control of a match. Yeah, I don't know. I think he could have stopped it. He has no idea what to do. Um, because, like, I, I also love during his entrance where, you know, because he does the Polish power bit, um, obviously, family lineage and all that. But uh, he seems to say it when he doesn't know what to say. So, you know, they, they encourage people to trash talk on the way down to the ring. And every time we've seen him so far, I think it's two or three times, mm-hmm. he's kind of like really quiet, really smiling, waving at the people. And then at one point, we'll just awkwardly go, uh, Polish power. <laughs> And I feel real bad for him. Um, so, here's one for you. Yeah. Let's rank the worst second generation wrestlers. Ooh. Well, I, I'm going straight in. Straight in. We talked about him on the last episode. Mm-hmm. David Flair is up there. I think Putski's right there with him. Ooh. You see, I, I would put Putski... I wouldn't put Putski as high on the worst list because Putski at least looks like a million dollars. Whereas, God bless him, in every by every metric, David Flair looked like shit. But that <laughs> worked mean. with the hardcore run. A little bit. Um, ooh, who else, who else is bad? Wrestlers. Like, um, Nat- Natalia's not good, but I don't feel she's awful. I think... It, I always think if she had come around like half a decade, maybe eight years later, she'd be incredible. Yeah. I think she was very good for her time when she didn't have a lot of people to wrestle to get better. Because mm-hmm. she kind of came in, particularly I think of when she comes into WWE, it's at the tail end of like Lita and Trish are trailing off or possibly even already gone. I, I can't remember. I think, exactly. I think they were already gone. I think it was like both Mickey, of them already gone. Yeah, yeah so I think Mickey it was Mickey, was definitely Michelle there. McCool, Layla. Yeah. So that was during the period of Divas where like it was 95% horrible matches mm-hmm. and then you would periodically get someone would go on a run of like it would click in their head like do you remember for a while Candice Michelle actually figured it out yes. and was having decent yep. matches and there was a similar run for then Kelly Kelly wasn't there? Um, yeah, Kel- Kelly got like okay by the end of her run. Yeah. Um I remember Can- Candace's run ended when she had that awful bump. Remember she got yeah. um stretched out. I think she did her collarbone, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um I'm trying to think who else is a, a bad second generation wrestler. Um I'm trying to uh to Google this now. Just I to mean, have a look. One one that always gets mentioned but I've never actually watched any of his matches is uh David Sammartino. Yeah, yeah. And I think that might be a kind of David Flair thing where you're just, you, like, you would have to be among the best of all time mm-hmm. to, like, not get absolutely buried. So I think there's a thing where no matter how hard you try, especially if you're not as gifted as the one who preceded you, uh, you're fucked, kind of. Uh, oh, Sean Stasiak. <laughs> I don't know. I think he gets excused for the perfect, the uh, the perfect one run. Mm. Uh, I'm looking at a list here. This is from the Sportster. Uh, will I read them all out? Yeah, go for. It. So we've got uh, Rene Dupree. 
mm, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say, like he's wouldn't not terrible. Him, I wouldn't put him in the fifteenth worst, like fifteenth worst of all time. No, even though we can't come up with any names. <laughs> uh, Shy tattoos. Yeah, Camacho. Uh, as the son of Meng. Uh, look, I, I unironically enjoy God sometimes. Yeah. Um, Barry Orton. Bob's brother. Again, I think he was just mostly a jobber. Yeah. Uh, Manu. There you go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Scott Putsky. <laughs> He's 11. David Sammartino, we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tamina. Oh, God, yeah. That, that Talk about somebody that has never, ever gotten good. Yeah. Wes Briscoe. Iconically bad. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, how did we forget him? Yeah, and I, I was does does Garrett Bischoff count as second gen? I yeah, because I suppose Bischoff technically wrestled. Um. Oh my God, number seven, absolute strong contender here, Cody Hall. Yes. In terms uh, of in terms of not living up to your father and also being blowing a your person. chances. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is unfair, Brian Christopher. Ah no, get out yeah, of here. That's that's very unfair. Uh, Sean Stasiak. Again, yeah. Oh, God, Sim Snooker. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yeah, okay, so the, the Snooker family are running away with this. <laughs> Jesus, um, you want to talk about dynasties for shit wrestlers? Oh, my God. Um, Like, not only being a terrible wrestler, but then nearly killing The Undertaker. <laughs> oh, I was going to make a Jimmy Snooker joke there, but I won't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at that. You actually stopped yourself for once. I didn't have to edit it. <laughs> Oh, God, how did we not think of this? Eric Watts. Ah, that's harsh. He's <laughs> Garrett, bad, but he's, num- he's not worse than Sim Snooker. Number two, Garrett Bischoff. Yeah, again, fair. <laughs> and number one on this list, uh, David Flair. And I think, I feel that is probably coming from the, uh, how great the father was to how, like, yeah. the gap between father and son there, necessarily. Um. Because, like, I remember, you know, we, we shit on him now. But I, I do remember um, being really into the, the, the trio of Flair, uh, Crowbar, and Daphne. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm I'm really looking forward to actually revisiting just how yeah. bad or possibly good David Flair might have been. Somebody pointed out one there on the, the Reddit thread that's linked to this article. Uh, Lacey Von Eric. Oh, God, I remember she was the thing for a while. Yeah, TNA, wasn't she? Yeah, she was one of the beautiful people, I think. Yeah. So there you are. That was a horrendously, uh, horrendous trip to Ima- memory lane. Imagine that promotion. Yeah. Oh, they have like, um, there's a um, a guy we mentioned on the show a few weeks ago, uh, Brian Zane with his Wrestling With Regret, actually has a, a video on the worst second and third generation wrestlers of all time. And the only one I can see in this thumbnail that we haven't mentioned so far. Oh, Ted DiBiase Jr. Yeah, that's her. She was DiBiase a solid, solid wrestler. And uh, Curtis Axel himself, the gully bully. Again, look, he didn't amount to anything, but he's solid. Were you wearing a wetsuit? <laughs> <laughs> look, I would, I would contend a lot of people on that list are just bad wrestlers. Yeah. Look, no Where, one compares whereas... to the, the genesis of McGillicuddy. <laughs> Ooh, uh, anyway, anyway back to this match Sa- Saturn wins this match yeah he whips he, he whips Putski into the corner it's a falcon arrow uh, 
signals for the Death Valley driver and wins with it. Uh, he does the mind over matter line of the camera, which I am completely over that as a catchphrase. Ah, it's just so bad. Yeah. I mean, once as an off the cuff thing is fine, but like, oh my God, it's every week now. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense when it's not in the context of the feud at Raven. But anyway, speaking- the, the, high, the highlight of um, this match is yeah. Bobby Heenan calling the replay. Yeah. And trying his damnedest to work Castro GTX motor oil yeah. into everything. God bless him. God bless him. Um, <laughs> we have next up the nadir of this program. Okay, what was your reaction when he walked out? I mean, horror. Putting my face in my hands. Disciple is here and he's got a <laughs> microphone. At that point, I just wrote down, Jesus, not again. Yeah, and immediately, to the point where I almost felt bad for him, he was stumbling all over himself. It fucking just, stinks. It was such a horrific... For a guy who used to host his own interview segment, Mike, my God, he has no confidence at this point in himself in the mic. He is horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, God, it's just terrible. He said he's sick of Hogan and Bischoff running roughshod all over the place. People say for many decades he's been riding Hogan's coattails. Correct. Uh, He said he made a name for himself by himself. Not true. Uh, And didn't need Hogan. Not true. I wrote, ha ha, after he wrote that. Um, He says that a lot of people have a job because of Hogan, which is true, uh, including his nephew. And I was like, oh no. I knew where it is as soon as he said nephew. I was like, please don't do this match. Please. I've been enjoying this show. His nephew, you may not know, his nephew is a guy called Horace Boulder. Ah, I said, oh God, no. And it's Disciple versus Horace. And Horace has a new look. He's here in a fucking singlet and looks like shit in it. Yep. He looks awful, doesn't he? It's the most creator wrestler, plain black singlet. He just looks so bland. The match is thankfully brief, but it is awful. The two of them look like shit. And uh, Disciple wins with his not quite a stunner, not quite a cutter, which has a name now. And I nearly fell off my fucking chair. It's called the Apocalypse. I thought it was just called Apocalypse. I believe Brain said Apocalypse. And it made me sad. Okay, that's fucking horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions. I, I don't know if I have the answers for you, Lee, but you fucking plow on, son. <laughs> so I normally try and apply some kind of logic to this show. Yeah, continuity, Malone. I, I try. I try my damnedest. Me and Nick Lambrose try and get together and work these things out. Mm-hmm. And so Horace Boulder, as he's being called, is Hulk Hogan's nephew. Yes. And he has a job because of Hulk Hogan. Yeah? Yeah. Why was he in the flock? Well, if I were to look at the logic of the Hogan character, is that he probably didn't notice. (laughs) Because Hogan doesn't care about anybody but Hogan. Which is not just his character, but actually the man himself. But this is his family. Yeah. I mean, I suppose he does give a shit about his family. Sometimes too much with the whole vibes of Fancy and his daughter. Uh, on Hogan vibes. Best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, vibes. <laughs> Big air quotes. Um, yeah, I got nothing for you here. Um, the idea, as well, I love that, uh, you know, 
a man named Boulder is the nephew of the man named Hogan. And I love the idea that his name mm-hmm. might be Hulk Hogan Boulder or Hulk Boulder Hogan. Or his name... <laughs> Over the shoulder Boulder Holder. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah this match is horrendous and because we haven't had enough of it after the bell Horace attacks him again um, so my fear is because of that this this feud must continue hopefully on Saturday night we get the operatic Warrior Hogan commercial next which is I th- like we said on, on Knights of Nitro it's a really good job of trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear mm-hmm. um, Tony is now in the ring to call out one Christopher Jericho he and Ralphus are here but he uh, instructs Ralphus to stay on the ramp uh, antagonizing the fran- fans but I was um, what was it we were watching recently that had him talking about Ralphus there was like was it when he passed away and the video went around of him talking about Ralphus and he's just he did an interview yeah yeah and we mentioned it on the show where he's just like he used to get annoyed because he'd be trying to get heat and he'd be telling Ralphus he really mean to the fans and he's just like hey how you doing yeah <laughs> And that's clearly what was happening here, where he was telling to stand there and he was just waving at the fans, not even really listening to Jericho, which is great. You can't help but smile that he's actually on the TV, like, and yeah. people recognize him. Brain has a great line in here saying, Hey, Tony, do you know what Ralphus uses for uh, for dental floss? Rope. Um, Jericho says he's been looking around the arena all night, that Goldberg isn't as indestructible and immortal as people think. He's just a guy who got into the business way too easy and demands that Skiavone introduce Goldberg. So the Goldberg music plays and <laughs> he insists... I, I love that Shivani, first of all, refuses. Yeah, and it like starts muttering into the microphone, but he's not here. Yeah. <laughs> Jericho cuts him off. Um, Yeah, his music plays. And this is the opposite of like the thing they did with the horseman. This was this was good because as well this has been established already. This is what Jericho mm-hmm. does, that we know the Jericho character would not call out Goldberg unless he was confident that Goldberg wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he demands Nick Patrick starts the count. He counts to ten. Jericho is now two and zero against Greenberg, and an incredible reference because of what a nerd he is. Marshall says that Jericho has now defeated Claude Rains. Uh, did you get that reference? I did not. Um, as the the famous song from the opening of Rocky Horror Picture Show would tell you, Claude Rains played the Invisible Man oh in the God. old in the old Universal uh, horror movies. So that was that was Lee Marshall trying to bump up his nerd cred. I will guarantee you, I would put all the money in my wallet, Lee, that Lee Marshall is a man who corrects people saying, "No, actually, it's Frankenstein's monster." Frankenstein is the doctor. I guarantee you he's one of those people. He, he's that guy, yeah. Yeah. He definitely is. Yeah. Or, no, his name isn't Michael Myers in the move, in the Halloween movies. He's called The Shape in the first movie, which is true and is cool, but you don't have to be that pedantic. No one cares. We get a flashback to uh, our episode of WCW Backstage Assault from Monday with the walking <laughs> brawl that Sting and Brett had backstage that ended the show. And they really couldn't make that look much better when they cut it up in flashback here. It still looked like just two guys who weren't really that fucked about it. I can't, be- I can't believe they had to go to a hospital after that. Yeah, I can't believe that of all the clips they picked to show at the start was uh, Sting hoofing the whiteboard at him. <laughs> Which, like, one of my favourite parts, but... Look, we all know going to school is dangerous. Yeah. Um, 
Tony is out in the ring now to interview Brett and Brett's word of the day calendar here clearly gave him stupid because Sting is <laughs> stupid. He listened to the fa- Sting listened to the fans who are stupid. <laughs> I, I love that you're taking shots at Canadian people here. It was no, it was proper like it was proper just he hit the the ooh sound so hard even more than Canadians typically would. Like it was proper stupid. I loved it. He said he'd been waiting. Uh, he had been waiting so long. The people had been waiting so long for Hitman versus Sting. He doesn't care that he's the US champ right now. He's setting all that aside and challenging Sting at Halloween Havoc, which sounded like the real heel move. I don't care I'm US champ. I'm not putting that on the line. <laughs> uh, but he's challenging Sting at Halloween Havoc anyway, so we're going to have that. So I actually thought this was a pretty good Brett promo. For him, yes. By, by his WCW standards. Obviously, it doesn't compare to his late WWF stuff. But here's something. If they were going to have Brett as a heel and NWO associated without actually being in the NWO and he's US champ. So why not bring Brett in as a heel or turn him shortly afterwards after Sting drops the world title? That, like, that's all fine if you want to do Brett versus Sting. So why not give Brett the US title. He's he's no interest in the world title. He wants the US title because he fucking hates the US. And he wants to be their champion and just rub it in their face. I wonder is that part of that something we've remarked on before, Lee, is that idea that WCW can never decide for themselves whether they want to mm-hmm. embrace what happened in the other company or completely ignore it. There are some people that get completely reinvented or we ignore their history somewhere else. And then mm-hmm. at the same time, we have... You have to recognise who they are because of where they were yeah, somewhere. we have like, something like, yeah, the Warrior-Hogan feud, which is all built around a match that happened somewhere else eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're only fucking dying to be able to mention it. You know? But they can't. Um, so they can't decide. And, you know, it's something we've said before. And part of it is just that, like, because of everything that happened in Montreal and the way the relationship disintegrated with Vince... Um. That he's just, his heart isn't in it anymore for the most part. Even though this was a good promo by his account. It just seems WCW aren't that fussed. He's not that fussed. Like, mm-hmm. I feel as truly great as Brett was, I'm not here to say that he was he was shite or anything. He was definitely shite in WCW. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to, like, you know, chip away at his legacy or anything like that. But, but what I will say is I feel like the true greats and, you know, if he was motivated still would have been able to make chicken salad out of chicken shit to some extent. Uh, he, 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 like, there were so many fresh opponents for him. Yeah. That he, he still should have had a great run in yeah. WCW. Whatever, he can't control, like, he, he doesn't have control over the creative like he did in WWF. So he kind of is at the whim of whatever Bischoff wants to do with him. But bell to bell, mm. the guy could still be out there having bangers. Like, he was still physically capable at this point mm-hmm. in time. Um... So it is just really disappointing because, you know, even if the setup is shite, the two of us should still be really excited to see the two of these guys on a pay-per-view with a bit of time, yeah, you know, or sure. we should have been chomping at the bit when we saw them like they, they you know, they can't, they can't keep their, their hands off each other. They're just brawling away backstage on Nitro. We mm-hmm. should have been hyped about that. Like how fucked up is this? We're seeing Sting and Bret Hart brawling here. Um, Like th- these are two guys that like, rose to the top of their companies around the same time as like the fresh new guys yeah. and like all we get is 
aha, you thought I was a good guy, but I was actually a bad guy. Yeah, we're talking about a guy who, again, I know we keep saying it, but 11 months before this, he was the hottest commodity in professional Mm -hmm. wrestling. Like, you play that Montreal thing properly, and he is your biggest star. But we know, we've gone into it before, the myriad reasons why that wasn't Mm -hmm. allowed to happen. Um... Yeah, it's just really kind of... And, and Sting, to a certain extent, like, I don't think Sting ever really completely just went on autopilot in WCW, but there were definitely times where I feel like he was a bit frustrated and just kind of... I, I think Sting had long accepted that he was never going to get to be yeah. that guy over Hogan. Yeah, I think he gets, like, he gets heated up and a bit more motivated. We, we'll see in, in the months and years to come. There are periods mm. where Sting is really into stuff again. Like, I think he was weirdly into some of that Vampiro feud that was terrible. Um, But anyway, uh, at this point, I think he's, he's in this period in 98 where he's had the disappointment and the frustration of a year and a half's worth of bills just completely shit in the bed with his title reign. Mm-hmm. And now I think he's in the mode where he's in the wolf pack with his pals and he's having fun and he's just not really like, I'm not saying he switched off, but he's not as kind of living and dying with his booking maybe as he used to be. And he's kind of showing up to have fun with his pals and, you know, have a decent match and then go home, you know? Yeah. That's what I, I feel of it. And that's what I feel like this feud is. It's they're kind of like, yeah, what are we doing this week? Yeah. Fucking fine. Whatever. And the two of them motivated would have like I'm not saying it would be an all timer of a match, but they would have a like a very very good match. I would suspect. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I definitely. If they, like I say, if they were anyway interested, but you do get that impression that they're both like, yeah, fine, we'll we'll do a program. Yeah, yeah. fine. It's uh, it's disappointing. Uh, next up, we have Dean Malenko out here to the uh, the the new version of the Four Horsemen theme, which was uh, pointed out by the the commentary. Uh, Malenko takes a. Uh, uh, and it has to be said, what a fucking thing. Oh my God, so good. Uh, he takes a seat in the ring, falls out of a chair. He says, Bischoff must feel real good serving pavers to keep them out, but you forgot about one horseman and he isn't leaving uh, this building, this ring or this chair until he gets a match. Eric is out and said, if you want a match, you'll get one. Barb and Jimmy Herrick come out. Eric says that he will, you know, what he said, he, like, oh, just so that the, the camera can overhear not the microphone he says like what are you on half a million a year I'll double it if you hurt that man so Barb comes out it's Dimalenko versus Barbarian Um, I just find it funny there are conservatively about 67 people in the NWO <laughs> and Eric Bischoff still had to get outside help because this this point on the card is below the likes of Hogan's pay grade but the rest of well, the I mean, NWO are complete dorks. You wouldn't buy them as a threat. But see, that's the thing. Like, if Brian Adams came out, you're like, ah, well, he's obviously going to lose. Yeah. But so, Malengo will easily uh, fight off the one arse cheek pile driver. <laughs> like, I, I can understand the logic of, you know, Jimmy Hart and Barbarian wanting more money. Yeah. It, it, it's fine. I don't like it, but it's fine. I wonder did it get to very late in the day as they were recording Thunder and Bischoff realised there was a blank space on the run the run sheet he's like oh fuck we never figured out who was coming out who's in catering right now <laughs> well we'll we'll see if Barb has a match on next week's Thunder yeah good lord Um, 
So Eric gets on commentary now and he confirms the suspicion you might have had watching the earlier segment with the horseman that he didn't forget to leave Dean out of the uh, the restraining order for the building. He set him up. He said he's dumber than a brick. Uh, Barb starts wailing on Dean with Jimmy's help who's like getting right in and laying a few digs in in the corner. Uh, Eric is determined that the horseman will not be a force as long as he is here in WCW and to an extent he was successful ultimately. Mm. Um Malenko valiantly fighting back. Uh, he hits a proper, really rough looking drop kick to the back of Barb's head. Um, then Jimmy is up on the apron. Dean gets up in his face, but sees Barb coming over his shoulder. Ducks. Jimmy gets taken out. Uh, drop kicks to the uh, the leg of Barbarian to take him out. Puts him in the clover leaf, and he taps out. And I will say, so apart from I think. You know, Malenko did a solid job of making it look like he chopped the tree down to size and managed to tap him out. The crowd did go wild for it. The best part of this whole segment, uh, I'll hand over to you to describe, Lee, and it is the absolute masterclass of a job Bischoff did selling his absolute fury. Could not fathom how Malenko could get out of this one. Gotcha. Um, I, I love Bischoff's reaction here. He's just like... First of all, you hear him shouting no, and like he can't believe the result. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he just starts beating up Tony Schiavone <laughs> with paper. Yeah. Just picked up papers off the desk and started just berating him with them. And Heenan refuses to help Tony. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually, Bischoff just tells the two of them to get lost, <laughs> and is screaming that this is my show. Get the camera off him. We. We'll never see the horseman again. We don't want to see him on camera. He's never walking out of an arena yeah. again. He's just... Anything that comes to his mind, yeah. he's just screaming into the mic. And as they do it, they're shooting it from like the floor above the little raised area where the um, mm-hmm. the, the table is the on. The desk is, yeah. The way it was pointedly, I would ha- if you'd pause at that point, I would have put money that coming in from the background, we would see the rest of the horsemen. It, it seemed framed for them to walk in from the background and be like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck. And then he has to go running. He has to run off yeah. to the side or something, yeah. yeah. Or like the, the B team comes out and there's a brawl or something like that. I, I, I couldn't believe when this whole thing ended and there was no horseman. It was crazy to me. Um, I, I have to say, I did think the segment overall was very good, though. Yes, particularly Bischoff. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, even Malenko, who... Um, to say he's dodgy usually on the microphone is uh, is to put it very mildly. I think he did a fine job with what he had. Yeah, you know? he, he, he made his point and got yeah. his match. Uh, Raven is out here. Next, uh, he said his mother told him not to even bother trying because he won't amount to anything anyway. He's just a cinder in the furnace of the damned. I was hoping for another point uh, of contention from Tony going, who would tell a child that? Like he did when <laughs> Raven got thrown about something his father said a few weeks ago. I, I love that Raven says he fought out of the gutter. Yeah, he fought out of the gutter anyway. That said, people always get his breaks, or the breaks at least he feels mm-hmm. like he deserves, such as DDP. He was a common man, but now he is a butler, a maid, a playboy centerfold wife. But what about him? What about Raven? Paige gets to wrestle Rodman and Malone. He gets the flock. Wow. <laughs> The, the flock that he put together yeah, which was such a burial about the oh wow the flock um, DDP is now uh, you hear his disembodied voice saying what about you and uh, cuts to him he's after walking out of the ramp because the way I see it you're getting banged so we have an impromptu match which is DDP versus Raven and if this had gotten time I would have been very very happy 
But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even though it was kind of short but sweet, I, I still enjoyed it for the most part. Um, Raven jumps him, of course, because this is WCW, laying in stomps and choking him with the flannel. DDP fires up, goes for the cutter, but gets low blowed, reminding you that it is, in fact, Raven's rules. Uh, Raven is feeling it now, dropping Paige and keeping him grounded with uh, knees to the side and chin lock. Uh, uh, Paige fights his way out with the chin lock but gets kneed in the gut the old kitchen sink and he has to roll out of the ring Raven hits one of your favourite spots in the world Lee the Russian leg sweep into the rails Mm -hmm. Uh, great spot he tries to uh, do the spot where you kind of wishbone them off the uh, the post when they're they're lying down inside. But uh, due to DDP's leg strength, which Brain is fascinated by, uh, he manages to drag Raven into the post so he hits his head off it. Uh, a furious Raven then hits the drop toe hold of Doom onto the chair. Uh, Lodi comes out at this point, briefly distracts Raven, long enough for Paige to recover. And <laughs> instead of like ducking the chair shot, he just gets his really long arms out and just shoves the chair back into Raven's face uh, clothesline a really mistimed belly to belly suplex which I thought was uncharacteristic from the two of them they usually have very good chemistry together uh, Raven hits a drop toe hold into the turnbuckle which I thought looked cool really utilising just how lanky Paige is on that spot uh, mm-hmm. and then a quick roll up for a two and I will say at this like you hear me like clipping through the spots here that's how fast this match was going this was yeah. like they were not getting paid by the hour this was going at a tremendous pace um, sleeper attempt from Raven Paige fights out Raven attempts a backslide which Paige kind of rolls around hits the diamond quarter and wins like I said short but sweet best match of the night I love this I love the whole segment again yeah. I thought this was another fucking fantastic segment like Raven and DDP like I know you mentioned there the, the one spot that they've kind of flubbed up yeah. but like these two have such great chemistry together yeah. whether it's promos matches just any interaction between these two, like I am all about it. Yeah. Um and I know we've said it before. Like let Hogan and Nash and Hall and fucking Savage go off and do their own little stuff. Yeah. And let DDP, Goldberg, Raven, fucking Booker T, Scott yeah. Steiner, let them all off to do their own stuff. Yeah. Away. Just keep a- them to- away totally from separate. the <laughs> And it's just like I just love seeing these two together. <laughs> like, they've never actually separated. Like, in our whole time doing the show, mm. it's like throughout the whole of 1998, these two have been almost linked together. Yeah. And they keep coming back to it, and they come back to it because it works. Yeah. Uh, like, they, they, they really should have been, like, generational rivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're correct. I Like, it is, it's one of the things that, it, among the many sad things about this company not being around, is how many open goals they scuffed with talent. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned the likes of Scott Steiner earlier in the show, and as you've just listed out, like, he's not close to an isolated incident. There's so many people that they just let slip through their fingers or let Hogan uh, push off to the side or whatever. Like, look look, look at the pop for when DDP hits the cutter. Yeah. He's, like, again, it, how, it only took him... You know, he'd been kind of pushed into the background for a while and it's only mm-hmm. taken a couple of weeks of him beating guys you've heard of to heat him back up where people are really into DDP and Goldberg now. Where, where let's be honest, the Hogan stink has gone from him. Yeah, yeah. He's been away. He's been cut away from the rot for a little while now and mm-hmm. got heated back up. Um, At this point in the show, Lee, you sent me a text message. I'd like to... <sighs> I'd like to uh, recall this. You said, not to build it up, and uh, this is, I assume, directly after this match. Not to build it up, but this is possibly my favourite episode of Thunder so far. Which I thought, wow. And I said, not a massively high bar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then you responded in reference to this final segment, because it's time for the main event. You said, actually, forget it. Buffer is here. It's shite and I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly how I feel. Walk me through what happened when after this blockbuster of a match, we went to commercial break and you came back and saw that man's overpaid face. Like, honestly, I, I, it sounds like a bit, this isn't a bit. I was genuinely enjoying the show so much. I watched it all in one go. Like, stopped it a couple of times to fucking take a couple of photos and send out a few tweets. And I, I genuinely sent you that message saying, this is probably my favourite show yeah. that we've done so far. Mm-hmm. And literally, as I sent it, and as you replied, I heard his voice. <laughs> I didn't look up. I heard his voice, and I went, No. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm going to read what I wrote down because this is how I genuinely felt okay fucking motherfucking buffer <laughs> for a f- for a fucking thunder main event are you fucking joking it's Luger versus fucking Stevie fucking Ray fuck this fucking company <laughs> it's so much money wasted I will say the most effort I've possibly ever seen from buffer and it wasn't anything to do with his announcing it was that he appeared to have a fresh top up on the die job um, so that's definitely the most effort he's put into WCW so far um, as this match uh, as the entrances are happening Tony uh, no- makes notice that a, lar- a big Hollywood star will be in attendance at Nitro this Monday uh, that's going to be in a new Universal Studios picture that's coming up soon uh, and unless Chucky, unless it? I'm mistaken this is in fact Chucky yeah I haven't actually I meant to look up the running order of next week's Nitro because I know the segment it happens in with, with Rick Steiner Um but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, it is Stevie Ray with Vincent versus Lex Luger. Uh, Stevie Ray's gear, the half black and white, is great, but not nearly as great as the rarest sight in nature and one that I really wish he'd stuck with for the rest of his career, the Lex Luger goatee. <laughs> Did it catch you off guard? Holy it me shit. Off guard. I, I, I was on my own watching this in my office last night at about one in the morning and I looked up I was typing up what the match was going to be and about the big Hollywood star and I look, looked up and loudly exclaimed on my own in the middle of the night holy shit this salt <laughs> and pepper goatee was an incredibly strong look it, do you know what if he had kept it for his entire run in yeah. the NWO yeah. I would have been fine with oh it. my god it would have been amazing um, um and, uh, uh, what did what did you think of the uh, the change of black boots as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's obviously obviously trying out some stuff. Maybe yeah. he did. Care. I mean, the goatee really draws the eye, uh, so it's hard to focus on boots at a time like this. But yeah, well, I appreciate yeah throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what happens because like the total package thing, which you would then just kind of go back to, <laughs> um, and not really deviate from that for most of the rest of his run. Um, stale, we should say. Um, mm-hmm. we went from the sublime to the ridiculous so from the goatee to a man in the crowd who was showing off his wolf pack tattoo I did not see that yeah he had pulled down the back of his shirt so it was like right below his neck like in between his shoulder blades a wolf pack tattoo it's the most fucking embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my life but what I will say is like it was literally a picture of a wolf and it just said wolf pack and I think it was in red and black it was hard to tell because the lights were flashing but um and I mean, that that's saying something considering yeah. you've seen Cody Rhodes tattoo. Yeah. The one thing I will say about it though is 
it's generic enough and the term Wolfpack is generic enough that he could probably have gotten away with people in his life not knowing it was a wrestling tattoo. Uh, Possibly. And, you know, unless he pops off the top, no one has seen it. Unlike fucking, yeah, Cody, who has it stuck on the side of his neck. And, you know, someone asks him what it is and he says, it's my own personal brand. And, yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, look... It, it's Cody God bless him like I'm so into his stuff most of the time in AEW but that that like the God it's the worst thing he ever did the worst thing like and I, I tell you what I still at, least, feel at, least, so, at least on that um, AEW games thing he wore Polonic yeah I still feel so bad for MJF in that match because no one was talking about him they had a match yeah it was that was where he revealed it yeah <laughs> I'm joking oh yeah yeah that was like it was because it was right as they started to heat up MJF when he was doing his mm-hmm. undefeated streak and yeah god um Brain starts trying to do uh, a gate they're talking about Hogan and Warrior and about how like the defeat from uh, from Warrior left a gaping wound for eight years and Brain tries like a riff on the idea of gaping wound and going to like the wound facility or hospital or something like that and before he even tries to go wherever he's going to whatever punchline, Tony just shuts it down. No nonsense, Shivani is here tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, Lex goes to the outside of the ring, gets clubbed by Vincent. Uh, this match, uneventful as you might expect, Lee. Uh, I'm just going to fast forward here uh, in my notes to the end. As Stevie sets up for the slapjack, he gets backdropped. Lex begins his comeback, signals for the torture rack, takes Vincent off the apron when Scott Hall appears. Uh, and the penny drops with Tony that luring Nash out of the building was a setup so that they could get Lex on his own. Lex attempts a 10 punch spot, right? And this is just classic bunch of fucking oafs in the ring. Lex attempts a 10 punch. He gets shoved off the top. Stevie was supposed to be behind him so that he would catch him on the way down and they would both fall down. But the first time they do this, Stevie is not in place. He misses his cue. So mm-hmm. he falls off, realizes Stevie wasn't there, and he has to run back up, and they just have to go do it again. Just the yep. classic smack, taped smackdown. They do it again, but no one cut this out. Um, Lex falls onto Stevie when they do it the second time, and they roll around for a bit again. The catfight spot. Hall picks up Lex, and Stevie takes out the slapjack and bonks him in the head. Uh, even though it was weird because Lex was selling like he'd already been hit with the slapjack before the slapjack was even revealed. Strange. Uh, Conan comes out to try and make the save but Vincent got to him first on the way out the 3 and one advantage takes its toll uh, inside the ring leading to an outsider edge uh, on Lex and we go off the air with uh, Scott Hall doing the survey ahead of what I'm sure was a very tedious dark match I'll tell you what it, Hall was obviously sober yeah. during this segment Yeah. so if they did if they actually you know turned around at this point and said do you know what? It was all a big ruse from Hall. Yeah. I could almost get behind it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be fully behind it because I was like, oh, God, like, you know, it's gone on way too long and they're mm-hmm. throwing up and stuff like that. But yeah, at least I'd be kind of, if not on board, relieved that it's over. That they, Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that they changed course. But yeah. like, um, it's just, I know they're not going to stick to it. Yeah, absolutely not. But for this one night where it's like, aha, he faked being super drunk and lured Nash 40 miles away so that they could take out one of the Wolfpack, that was a pretty good idea. 
I liked that. Um, what did you think of this main event? Apart from that, shy. Yeah. <laughs> in a word, yes. There's no other word. Like it, it's just pointless. You knew it was going to end in interference somehow. Yeah. It was a an NWO featuring main event. It was not going to end clean, was it? Not in mm-hmm. a million years. Um, are who? Yeah, who were your winners and losers of this episode of Thunder, my friend? And what did you think of the show overall, actually, firstly? Again, I I thoroughly enjoyed the show. I think, top to bottom, it is probably one of the strongest shows. Yeah. I think the... Like, the there's like a couple of great segments. Like, mm-hmm. like Ming has two segments, and they're actually, you know, fun for what they are. Um... The, the, the disciple horror stuff we could do without but look it's serving a purpose I suppose mm-hmm. um, I thought Malenko the Malenko hold segment with Bischoff very good the DDP Raven again anytime I see those two together I'm all about it yeah um, like the rest of it, and like the rest of it was just inoffensive like it was a fine show like I'd gladly sit through 90 minutes of this every week Um. Winners and losers. Uh, Raven, DDP, and Malenko, I think, come off the strongest of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Like, I couldn't disagree with any of your choices there. Um, losers. <laughs> I think after you making the case, I think Prince Ikea has to be the biggest loser of the show because he goes away for six months, comes back and gets beaten. Yeah, in like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By somebody that you pointed out isn't getting a push. Yeah. That doesn't really have anything on at the moment. There was nothing to be lost by... Canyon eating even just like a sneaky roll up or something mm-hmm. but uh, alas here we are uh, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga uh, 8 matches 6 clean 1 DQ or count out and 1 non-finish which was a no contest um, yeah a, a, one of the better episodes of Thunder I would say so far it felt consequential it moved a lot of pieces around the board and it was one of those where in spite of the fact that a good portion of the big names were missing it didn't feel that much worse off for it. Mm. You know, you talk about no Sting, no actual Nash short of his uh, his car, no Horseman, apart from a very brief backstage segment, and Dean Malenko by himself, no Hogan. You know, the list goes on. But still, it moved along at a decent pace. Some people got to shine. Some of our favourites got uh, prominent roles on the show. So with the exception of uh, the Disciple, Horace Stinker, and the main event being what those main events always are, I was very happy with the show. And much like you, watched it in one sitting quite easily. So very, very happy with it. Um, Yeah, that's going to bring an end to uh, Days of Thunder episode 35. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks where we will be two shows away from Halloween Havoc and bringing you another episode of Days of Thunder. So until then, we'll see you later. Thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the Data Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the Worldcast through the years in the International House of Combat to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder
that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside